you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Are some stereotypes accurate? Do stereotypes always harm people or can they sometimes help? You're listening to Queer Money episode number 235 and we're talking with Mike and Kyle of the Gayish Podcast and about stereotypes, the pros and cons, to see if you agree with our assessment on this Queer Money. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com or post them in the Queer Money Facebook group and we may answer your questions in an upcoming episode. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. Find out why the debt lasso method is a better way than the snowball or avalanche method for paying off your credit card debt by getting your free debt lasso calculator at debtlasso.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. On the show from time to time, we like to take little bits of detours that allow us to explore the other side of gay life that isn't necessarily money related, but is money tangential. And this week, we are super excited to have Mike and Kyle from the Gayish Podcast, who on a regular basis, talk about stereotypes and topics that are interesting and fun, and we all love to laugh and talk about, but sometimes maybe ones that are beneficial or detrimental. So we're going to dive into talking about some stereotypes with Mike and Kyle. Welcome to the show, Mike and Kyle. Thank you for having us. Hey, welcome to your show. (laughs) And I exist money tangentially, so this is perfect. (laughs) Yeah, it is kind of interesting how sometimes stereotypes, well, I think most of us understand that sometimes the stereotypes are embedded with a little bit of truth (laughs) or they seem to be embedded with a little bit of truth but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are either good or bad but i thought maybe it'd be kind of fun to just uh talk a little bit about some of the stereotypes that you think are maybe true about queer people or maybe specifically about gay men since i think all four of us (laughs) it's all four of us gay men (laughs) yeah well i think one thing that is particularly relevant about this for money is that and even and even more broadly, but people's assumptions about the gay community tend to be based on cis gay white men. Absolutely. So that's why sometimes people might assume that gay people are more affluent or have a higher income. So I think what you mentioned, like kind of figuring out what the truth, there is some truth. It's like, well, where is the truth right. and where isn't it? And so when you kind of expand more broadly to the actual wider gay community, that assumption about income may not necessarily be true. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. We see this. Uh, John and I are, well, I especially am a numbers person. And so whenever I start to see the data coming out through either surveys or studies being done, uh, especially from the Williams Institute, because uh, they do such a deep dive on some of these topics, it is interesting how you see this whole swath of differences when you go from the L's, the G's, the B's and the T's, and now even on further down the alphabet if that kind of data is being pulled out. So. Yeah, we find um, we like to look at the data if there are studies to see what, what is actually true uh, um, on the whole. And we do find it's very difficult to find 
surveys about trans people or or deeper. There's a lot of studies on L and G and and maybe B if they remember. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, so in your experience and the research that you've done and, and your episode or your podcast, what are you finding, if anything, about whether or not the LGBT community, especially gay men, are being more affluent? Yeah, I think actually there are a lot of factors that make that not true. Life is just more expensive as a gay man, whether that's in the past you had to pay more taxes or healthcare costs more, or you have to live in a more liberal big city to get acceptance. So I think on the whole, that is not as true as it may seem. Yeah. So, so where do you think then the stereotype comes from? Well, I, I think a lot of our depictions of queer life on mainstream media are of the beautiful, really meticulously dressed, beautiful home, fancy, inevitably white gay guy. And I, I think that that sends a powerful message to queer people that they need to look the same way, that they need to be the same way, whether they can afford it or not. And so they end up spending a lot more than they actually have in order to try to accomplish that cookie cutter that our television shows are telling us we have to fit into. Yeah. yeah. I also think that if you are wealthier, you are more able to come out because if you have money, then people forgive <laughs> things that they don't like. So I think if you, if you, I think more people, if you have more money are going to be out and people that have less money, they might live in rural areas or not be able to afford that just won't come out as much. So I think that wealthy people get a lot of passes and and then tend to be, will be the more visible people that you see. Now, totally stereotypically, I have a massive budget for underwear and porn. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a requirement, I think, to Uh, get into the club? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You come out and then you get an underwear punch card. (laughs) David likes to laugh at me and I am offended by it, but I every now and then I'll be scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and I'm like, I don't understand why all these advertisements promoting gay men's underwear are on my feed. They're not on mine. I, <laughs> the second I came out on Facebook, it was like, oh great, you love clothing ads with shirtless dudes and underwear and erection medication. Like That's what they decided <laughs> I'm into. I mean, they're not wrong, but it's still annoying. Yeah, it is. Well, it, it, I guess that kind of speaks to this idea that when there are these stereotypes that sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not, right? Some of them are absolutely false and some of them are absolutely true. And then there's this massive gray area where, yeah. So which one of those threes is is absolutely true, which is false. (laughs) (laughs) I think even stereotypes that may seem positive can still be harmful. I think stereotypes as a whole are bad, even if they're good things. Like Mike was talking about, if, if you see people on TV that are like, oh, gay people are clean and have nice homes, then if you don't live up to that positive stereotype, then you feel bad about yourself, feel that you're not gay enough or not worth it or don't fit into the community. So I think whether they're positive or negative traits or associations, it still can be a shitty thing to to feel like you have to live up to. It's interesting that you bring that up because I wanted to explore this idea of whether or not a stereotype could be positive for one person and a negative for another. And I think about, let's just say, for example, the stereotype of gay men are fit, right? And so for someone who is wanting to become more fit, it could be a motivator for them. But for someone, it could actually push them towards more obsessive, compulsive 
and detrimental behaviors that could actually end up being a bad thing for them to to be looking to that stereotype. That's interesting. As, as someone with body issues, I never thought about it maybe being good. <laughs> so that's something new for me to think about. I guess when we want to make changes and we're trying to be a better person, we're oftentimes looking for examples of who to follow or ways to do it ourselves. And then if we end up following after someone, more, more, more often than not, we're following them, they fall into some sort of stereotype. I think it's about representation as well. Like if you have a selection of people that are super fit and you aspire to be, but also people that have normal looking bodies, then it's it's when you only have one type of person to model yourself after, I think is the when it gets to be dangerous. Absolutely. We post on social media quite regularly, but there is one image that really, well, hmm. actually, I, I kind of break this down. It, it kind of, the imagery that we use tries to be as, intersectional as possible, lots of different folks. But it seems like there are two types of images that have really resonated with especially gay men. It's either men who are either very attractive, fit, and in a relationship, or on the other end of the spectrum, there's a picture that we post from time to time of a bearish looking man who's wearing yoga pants, doing yoga with his shirt off, has tattoos all over him, and is the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to the body shape, but is also one that a lot of people really comment and like. So I think you're right that the the representation absolutely has to be there. Yeah. Also, I think both of those images that you're talking about seem like they're more masculine presenting people, which I think we have a tendency to like more or, or showcase more in the gay community. So we specifically, with the imagery that we use for our content, for whatever reason that we found that lesbians and lesbian couples seem to engage with our content and take action on our content more regularly, and gay men seem to not. And so we've tried to use more gay imagery than lesbian imagery simply to hopefully try to get the community to say, all right, I need to start taking my finances seriously um, so that maybe they can see, if they can see themselves in our content, they might take action similarly to what we find that lesbian folks are doing. Well, something about lesbians, we say it on the show all the time, our show all the time, lesbians get shit done. So <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that they'd be after like practical, useful, monetary solutions that, 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 checks out with the stereotype and then on on, on the side for, for gay men i think that there's this youth obsession that's part of the culture and there's this i think implied immortality or something that comes with it like i, I think that they're i'm in my 40s now and I, I think that there are a lot of gay men in their 40s that are still trying to act like they're in their 20s when they should be saving for retirement and figuring out how to how to not live that lifestyle anymore well, if you can figure out how to do that, please let us know because we were just talking about this <laughs> last night. The most common tone email or direct messages that we get is one of desperation. And usually it's from someone saying, I'm you know, 60 years old or I'm 65 years old and I need to or want to retire tomorrow, but I don't have any savings. What should I do? <laughs> or I've got all this debt. What should I do? And it's like, you know, if we could get your attention 20 years earlier, <laughs> it'd be a lot easier. Yeah, I'm used to being very desperate, so I get that. <laughs> Usually it's on like scruff or whatever, but but sure, <laughs> money too, I get that. I mean, I think that's one of the downsides of when you're forced in the closet and you come out later in life, you kind of 
I mean, I, I think of this more in the dating realm, but like you kind of have to learn at maybe an older age how to do some of the basic things that you've never done. And that could be dating or that could be finances. And, and it might cost a lot to uproot your life or change things or move jobs or wh whatever happens during that time period. I just think gay people can. There's a there's a reason for the thing Mike was talking about, like kind of coming across as more mature or being youth obsessed. It's, you know, I think sometimes because we lost a lot of years to uh, being in the closet. Do you think that's changing now with the maybe it's the more acceptance of LGBTQ people? Yeah, absolutely. I think people are coming out at an earlier age and there is growing acceptance. But I do think people ever since the Burgerfeld, I've started to believe that, oh, we're good. We got it now. We're done. So uh, I think things are getting better, but still there's a long way to go. And especially for the rest of the members of the community, like trans people, non-binary people. So better but a lot more to be done yeah exactly this is my old man on get off my lawn voice but kids these days are <laughs> kids, kids these days are super down with everything like they they absolutely seem to be over for the most part any sort of hang-ups about sexuality or gender identity they just don't care i think that that's going to transformationally that's going to be something to look forward to as they get older and take control of the culture and start holding seats of power and that kind of thing. People who like to shit on millennials or Gen Z, <laughs> I just think they're super wrong. I, they're yeah. super wrong. They're awesome. Those generations are amazing and uh, are going to fix so many of the things that we screwed up. Thank you. Well, <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting you, you bring this up because we just recently had a discussion with Allie and Allison of uh, All Options Considered. Uh, that's a uh, a lesbian couple who have a blog about traveling around the world and how they reached financial independence, but they were talking about their nephew and their nephew. They said 20 years ago, everyone would think that their nephew was gay, right? He's got mm -hmm. pink hair. He does have some traits that individuals would consider effeminate, but he lives in a family that is 100% open to him being whoever he wants to be and they said it's kind of hard because they oftentimes want to think of him as gay but he has a girlfriend and has never come out has never made any comments about it so it's kind of this we all ourselves have these stereotypes but he is 100% comfortable with who he is and has known at least not yet had any reason to come out as anything other than what he has been kind of yeah uh, presenting himself as but our older generations are constantly it seems to me trying to fit people into a box and i think that maybe that's part of the reason why there are some stereotypes is right as soon as we see the stereotype we can put people in a box because only gay men do this or only lesbians do that and so we're trying to force people into these boxes because it's easier for us to understand I think in the past that's been very helpful because you couldn't be out. You had to signal to people that you were gay in more subtle ways that only other gays understood uh, because it was dangerous if you were too overt. So I think there are some of those signals that gay people have used in the past. And now we can start to get rid of some of those and other people can do things that used to be stereotypically gay and, and it doesn't say anything about them. But I, th I think and I hope that's changing. From an, from an evolutionary perspective, though, do you think that's going to mean that the gaydar gene is going to die? 
I mean, because there's no reason to, to need it, right? My, my gaydar is terrible, so I think it's already happening. <laughs> I have a hard time with this because I think I have a great gaydar, but I feel bad. Like, I, I always have to do that thing where I check myself as like, oh, that guy's super gay. And then I'm like, wait, dude, yeah. how has he has he said anything? How does he identify? Do I, you know, like I have to check myself on um, a lot of times just to make sure I'm not doing the bad thing that I don't like what straight people do of making assumptions about someone's sexual orientation. Right. So do you think, so is the gaydar primarily based on stereotypes? Well, there was an interesting study that was done about voices and how uh, gay men are able to hear gayness in other gay men's voices, that there is something about the way that we speak that actually does indicate gayness and can be picked up by other gay people. So in that regard, it's not based on stereotypes per se. But there are lots of other ways, like Kyle was saying, there are lots of other ways that I think gay guys have been signaling to each other, hey, I'm queer, look at me, and in a covert way that straight people wouldn't pick up on. And I think a lot of that really is stereotypical behavior. It's interesting you bring that up. John and I didn't, we wrote an article and we've actually talked about this. For those of you who are listening, you know, we've talked about this study so many times out of the University of Surrey in England. uh, Back in 2015, I think it was, they had a study that talked about how hiring managers and, and uh, HR folks oftentimes um, would unknowingly discriminate against, not hire or likely not promote someone who appeared to be or sounded nonconforming, whether that was gender or sexual orientation. And so there are folks outside of the community who are definitely picking up on those stereotypes and using it. And maybe in overtly or as unknowingly, they are using that as a way to treat people differently, discriminate. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Let's kind of jump back to some of the the stereotypes that we've already discussed a little bit. Maybe ones that are common, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to lean more towards gay men. We know that for our audience that there's probably about 70% of our audience is gay men who are listening. And some of these stereotypes are ones that often hung on us or we take on ourselves and maybe exploit. Uh, Things like, all gay men are obsessed with sex, or gay men spend too much time and money on their looks, or as a gay man, I'll probably die young. Those kinds of stereotypes, kind of going back to my my point earlier, could either help or hinder us in some ways. What are your thoughts on, on how we deal with those kinds of stereotypes? I will say about sex, it's interesting there was at least one study by OkCupid did a study and asked their members how many sexual partners they've had. And it was actually very similar for straight and gay people. I'd be interested to see if there are any other data points that conflict with that. They said like there's a small percent, like one or 2% of the gay community that are, that's having a ton of the sex. Like there's, <laughs> there is that small group of people. But what's interesting is, you know, that's just one study and okay, Cupid, I don't know. They're, you know, how reputable they are in <laughs> data analytics or whatever. But I think even more interesting than that is when you when I say that to people, everyone immediately says there's no way that's possible. 
So everyone, even gay people, immediately say that can't be true. Gay people always like definitely have more sexual partners. And so just that that is very ingrained in us that gay people are more interested in sex. It's interesting when you talked about the one percent or a small group of gay people who are having or queer people having more sex it immediately popped into my head was rose nyland calling blanche a slut on golden <laughs> girls <laughs> well, i just want to apologize for stealing all the gay sex <laughs> from uh, e3 but it's been a lot yeah, of fun yeah. <laughs> yeah every sex you have is one sex i can't <laughs> it's a pie so i'm curious did that study also uh, distinguish between men straight and gay and women straight and gay Lesbian? You know, I think it did a lot of things that probably were in there. I re- I skimmed it before <laughs> this, and I now I forget all the details. Well, because my, my argument has always been, and this is based on nothing but my own experience, is that I don't think that gay men necessarily think about sex more so than at least my straight friend, straight male friends. And I never really got the impression that I was having way more sex than they were before they got married and settled down. I just feel like it was pretty corollary. It's just that other gay men are more apt to agree to have sex with you because men are men and men like to have sex regardless <laughs> of your sexual orientation. Whereas women, I think, for whatever reason, and I don't understand it at all, are less inclined to do that. <laughs> I mean, I think a big part of that is what society says, particularly for women, like what they are supposed to be. So we really try to, society men, try to put a hamper on female sexuality in any way we can and say that, you know, that they have to be more pure. It's they're responsible for holding back and they can control things by holding back sex. Like I think that a lot of that is not necessarily based on actual sexual interest, but more what we, what we tell people they have to be. It's funny you you say this because John and I have often commented, we'll be standing in the grocery line and we'll see a women's magazine with the headline, seven ways to pleasure yourself or how learn how to masturbate. And we kind of think to ourselves, well, if gay men's magazines or straight men's magazines said that, there would be an uproar over it. So it almost kind of seems like there's kind of this, we're flipping the Script. narrative now to openness about what women can do and should do and be a little bit more closed with what men can or shouldn't do. Yeah, I think it's also like a lot of times I think people forget like things like lesbians exist, like sex is not like is not be there because of a penis and it's <laughs> right. i think some of those things are can be shitty to women because it's like here's how to get him off like have you ever tried like sitting backwards and then twirling around like <laughs> right. you're a ballerina like it, no just like have regular sex i don't know you know like i i think a lot of it is then based on how sex will help or feel good for men rather yes. than their own their own personal pleasure unrelated to penises duly noted but after we record this i want to underst- i want you to explain the spinning around part a little bit more to me <laughs> it, it's it's very difficult but when you get it right oh boy <laughs> so kind of going back to the the stereotypes and i'm gonna kind of maybe turn this a little bit towards the money side of the conversation uh, because mike you you brought this up about this whole idea of gay men in their 40s and i guess John and I would probably say gay men in their 20s and 30s and 50s and 60s need to get their money shit together so that they can enjoy, actually enjoy their lives. Uh, One of the data points that uh, John and I kind of go back to on a regular basis is something that came out of a study that Mass Mutual did that said that 
56% of people who identify as LGBTQ worry about money on a weekly basis, if not more often than that. And the kind of mental health issues that we will have or have because of worrying about money, but yet at the same time, even like you brought up, Mike, this whole idea of we're putting off our future for having fun today. So how as a community or as individuals, how do we buck the trend of the stereotype and not feel like we're being left out? Yeah, I mean, FOMO is real. As you're talking, I'm, I was thinking about like, why wouldn't you save for your future? And I'm reminded that as a gay person, I don't see a lot of happy old gay couples that die in a nursing home together. I don't see a lot of gay couples with grandchildren that they're bestowing, you know, inheritances to. And so there's really no model for what it looks like to retire and age as a gay person to sort of identify with and, and try to get on the train for that. And then I was also thinking that a, a lot of it, I grew up in the 80s and there's a whole generation of gay men that are just missing because Absolutely. of the AIDS crisis. And right. there, any potential mentors we might have in real life for what to do are gone. And so to a certain extent, you can't solve the second one, obviously, although Truvada is, is helping stop the, the AIDS crisis. But those people are never coming back. However, I do think that representation in the media can really help here. Like, let's let's see more. The most recent incarnation of Will and Grace and seeing the number of things that they were dealing with in terms of their age now that they're 50-ish, I, I thought was really important and cool. Right. John and I have kind of talked about this, especially the AIDS epidemic being an issue for the community because so many individuals, one, either thought they were going to die young and did because of the time at the, in which that they became infected or or the virus was around that they they basically like you said are not a part of the community and there's all those missing examples and then we have all the individuals who survived but had massive amounts of their money were being spent on their health care and thus they couldn't really set aside money for retirement living on disability and or maybe sometimes only being able to work part-time because of the illness or how they were dealing with it, that is obviously a big issue. But at the same time, I kind of wonder, I've seen recent data that shows that by 2025, I think that there's going to be roughly 5 million LGBT folks over the age of 60. That's oh, wow. a, a huge number to me of folks out there. So is our community maybe doing a little disservice to itself? by focusing so much on youth? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, in general, we have like this image when you picture a, a gay guy is, is again, like white and cis and young, like in their 20s or something. So I don't think we always see what it's like to be, you know, a lot of different minorities, but also being an older gay person and what that looks like. And I, th I think adding to this issue is how important the community is for gay people and queer people because unlike so many communities out there it's not one you're born into a community so you need those outside people to look up to and so that just makes all the things we're talking about even worse and even more important that we will have that's really cool that uh, five million older gay people that maybe didn't grow up saving and having a ton of money and and knowing exactly how to do it so i mean 
it's kind of like we all have to figure it out together. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, somewhat related, when I was growing up, one of my fears about finding out, realizing that I was gay, and maybe some of you had this experience, but I had no gay couples or gay men to look up to who had a great quality of life. I didn't see that any gay men in relationships that were happy and, and long-lasting and where they were thriving. And so it was almost sort of, you know, and I also grew up during the 80s and seeing the HIV AIDS crisis. And it almost seemed like, to David's point earlier, like, okay, well, being gay is a death sentence. So not only am I evil and going to hell, but I'm going to die a young age of a horrible disease. And so I think that that was one of the fears that I had growing up, just based on a relationship perspective. Yeah, why, why save for a future that isn't going to exist? That's a right. pretty powerful message. Right. right. And then, so, yeah, exactly. And then that, that ties right into finances. Yeah. Well, and what I find so interesting is John and I, like I said earlier, we post on social media quite a bit about these kinds of topics. And one of the messages that I see on a regular basis from young queer men, especially, is it doesn't matter. I'm going to die young anyway. And I just worry that we're going to just kind of have this cycle of folks in the community who think that they're going to die young, and then they don't die young. And then as they age, they feel desperate for financially and maybe relationship-wise. And Well, we're already seeing some of this, right? Because we know from some of the SAGE studies that there are now a much bigger percentage of older gay men who, in fact, did not die. And they're in very precarious financial situations. So I guess the question is, how do we get the message to people sooner so that they can actually have a positive effect on their long-term results? And so I'll, I'll throw this over to the guys who are experts on stereotypes. How do you how do you break down a stereotype and then flip the script in a positive way for folks? Yeah, I mean, man, I wish we had an amazing answer to that because that's what we talk about. But I, I mean, I, honestly, I think part of it is talking about these and trying to bring an objective, you know, it's, it, it would be easy to say that none of them are true, but like we talked about at the beginning, there's truth there. There's some reason those exist. Sometimes it's based on truth or it was true in the past. So I think just talking about these is really important to start rethinking, you know, what it means to be gay and, and what a gay person looks like. I do a pretty good job of hiding money from myself. So I, I pay myself first in, invisibly in the background because if I never see it, then I don't miss it when it's gone. And that, that's worked pretty effectively. So it makes me wonder if we could invent like an app or a service of some kind where every time you look at porn, it puts $2 in a bank account for you. Oh, transfers wow. wow. That's a good idea. <laughs> Every There's guy a ten percent upcharge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what were you saying? Every guy on what? Every guy on Scruff you woof at it d deposits two dollars <laughs> in your bank account. Like, <laughs> so I think you have to be really crystal clear that you actually want to woof at that person. Right. It's going to get expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Nowadays on Grinder, because they have so many ads, it's like, am I willing to wait five seconds to send this guy a message? Like I really have to want it. Depends on how late I've been out and what time of the morning it is. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I mean, I think another thing that we have to do as a community is support LGBT. I mean, insert noun here, but like LGBT uh, artists, LGBT authors, LGBT creators, LGBT owned businesses. We have to, I want everyone to do that, but we in the community need to support ourselves first. And so I think knowing where your money goes and supporting LGBT people is 
nowadays people try to be companies are trying to be LGBT affirming more more often than before. And it's like, well, but is that actually going to support or is it just a T-shirt that they're selling to make money? So exactly. so knowing where your money goes and supporting the community. So I'm is curious, something that we all can do. Do you have any recommendations on how to do that? And I ask this in part because David and I asked in the Queer Money Facebook group a couple months back. I forget exactly how we phrased it, but something to the effect of, do you confirm or look for LGBTQ owned and operated businesses when you need a product or a service? And it was so disheartening to us that the majority of the people said they never look. And the second highest result was I sometimes look. I thought to myself, you know, think of all the, the, the LGBTQ accountants and financial advisors and, you know, massage therapists, whatever, who are trying to manage a business. And it's hard regardless of your profession. And we're not supporting the community as I think we should. Yeah, I think, I mean, I know you've talked about this on your podcast before, but the HRC uh, Corporate Equality Index is a good place, a good starting point to see if they rank 100, if they, you know, HRC says they're good and supportive of the community. Of course, that'll big companies and limited um, insight for our day to day. But I also think when people start thinking about where their money goes and supporting LGBT owned businesses, you think, oh, I have to reevaluate everything. I have to Every dollar I spend now, I have to think about it. It can feel overwhelming. And I don't think the point is now you have to suddenly change everything. It's what's one thing I can do that moves money. Like if instead of buying, you know, my toiletries at the grocery store, can I buy it from a, you know, small independent LGBT owned place? Doing one thing to change your money habits is a good starting point. Yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. That's a tweetable. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I guess I, I'll kind of... myself. I know Twitter's not cool anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. I'll kind of... That's how presidential decisions have, and Clearly, foreign oh, policies You can made, run a whole so, country you know. on it. So <laughs> that's what I'm doing. This episode is going to air right during the election. It's going to so. air on election day. Oh, <laughs> so. Wow. Right. Well, I, I'm going to kind of wrap this up this whole idea of stereotypes because John and I would like a new stereotype for the LGBT community. Not one about you're fabulous because you're rich and you have all this shit or you're not fabulous because you're poor and you have a job and services that oftentimes pay less. We want to see a stereotype that there are intelligent, financially astute at all income levels LGBT folks who want a financially strong LGBT community. That's our, our goal and our mission. So that's a we didn't discuss this, Let's push I, more for I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do an entire episode. Just pre- we'll pretend like that's what it is. And then everyone will believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get on board. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so do you, uh, Michael Carr, do you have any final thoughts on, on stereotypes and as it relates to queer money? One last thing we we sort of touched on, but not not totally. I think that there is a Brene Brown moment of you are enough just the way you are. I think that there are a lot of gay people, gay men especially, who are buying the objects of status that they can't afford in a way to make themselves feel like they're enough because society has told them that they're not enough their entire life. And we need to push the message more that you're you are great. You're beautiful exactly the way that you are. You don't need an expensive car or clothes to compensate. Here, well, here. that's a way to bring down the curtain. Yeah, for all of you listening, Mike just said what John and Dave David grew up as. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but don't you think most 
I think LGBTQ people have grown up with that experience, right? You've been told all your childhood that you're less than either from, you know, school, your parents, churches, all sorts of organizations, sometimes occasionally the president of the United States of America. And so then when you finally are in adulthood, you've got to sort of overcome all that. And the easiest way for lots of people, aside from drugs and alcohol, to escape that is to buy the stuff that makes you feel like you have to love me because I have the Gucci belt. You have to love me because I have this Audi, right? Because we have a lot of holes to fill. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I'm telling you, maybe we should just... We should steal more. <laughs> that's that's the new thing. Let's all just steal a little bit. Robbery. <laughs> I like it. That's a strategy. Yeah. And now we all want a gay Robin Hood, right? <laughs> if he's wearing tights, yeah. Yeah, already pretty gay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, where can our audience find out more about you two and the Gayish podcast? Our website is gayishpodcast.com, and we are available on all the platforms that you might otherwise get your podcasts. Um, We're at Gayish Podcast on all the social media. And we're going to have y'all on an episode, so if you want a first episode to listen to, check out the one that y'all are going to be on about debt. I love that, and we'll definitely share that. Do you have any upcoming projects that you'd like to share? Be no, no. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I mean, I'm going to be taking a long nap tomorrow. We can celebrate that. Nice, nice. And I think the episode that we're going to be on is going to be a project for you. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying, sir? <laughs> All right. Well, Mike and Kyle from the Gayest Podcast, we appreciate having you. This has been a lot of fun, and it's got David and me thinking about some things, uh, at least uh, some perspectives that we haven't thought about before. So that'll be very informative for our future work. We appreciate having you. And thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you, Mike and Kyle of the Gayish Podcast for joining us here on Queer Money. Thank you, our listeners, for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Here's your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. As you look around the queer community, you'll see lots of different stereotypes, some that are true and some that aren't. And it's important to be aware that some stereotypes help some people and some stereotypes hurt others. If you adopt a stereotype, make sure it actually helps you and doesn't in the long run hurt you. And don't judge others if they fit into a stereotype of their own. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com or post them in a Queer Money Facebook group. We may answer your questions in an upcoming episode. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Commit. Trim. Lasso, automate, monitor. That's the debt lasso method, and it's helped pay off over $250,000 in credit card debt in less than two years so far. See what it'll do for you by getting your free debt lasso calculator at debtlasso.com. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.